the more you understand who you are and what you like, where you put a stake in the ground, like it's going to matter on like how you think and operate and what you believe. Like, what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about other people? And when you can kind of have empathy and grace on both sides, I think that can help even when you're in a situation that's hard or fearful or whatever, whether it's professionally or in your life, wherever. I think when you can step outside of it and kind of look at it through that lens of grace on yourself, grace on whoever's across from you, and that empathy too, maybe that can help. To the passion behind the art show. It's all about diving in with individuals to learn the story behind their passion. It's your host, Daryl Pink. What's up? Thank you for stopping by. You're in for a treat. Remember to check out my newest project, flyteddy.com. Flyteddy.com. Now, time for this week's episode. All right, I am super excited to have Debbie Clapper on the Passion Band Art Show. Um, this is probably one of my most exciting episodes to do. Debbie, welcome. Oh, Daryl, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited because Debbie does something that I'm a little bit envious about and something that I don't do at all. And her creativity is just like, I went to Creative South, didn't know Debbie. And then when I met her and then when we got back home, I got to see her work. I'm like, where has she been? You, Her body of work is just so legit. Oh, thank you. Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm feeling hot. I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm starting to sweat a little bit here. <laughs> nah, it's all thank good. Thank you so much for those kind words. I really, I appreciate that. Sweet. All right, let's jump right into it. How did your creative journey start? Well, it started, I mean, I'll say I've always been making art and being creative as far back as I can remember. And I know like I started drawing almost every day when I was nine years old. Um, but always this abstract art, always like drawn to graphic design type things and patterns. MC Escher is a huge inspiration and graffiti art. So it's kind of like these two ideas from a very young age getting merged together over time. Um, but my actual career, when I started to make a livelihood, once I got out of college and that was through graphic design. So I studied graphic design at the Art Institute of Colorado, which does not exist anymore. And I went into... Uh, working at a small ad agency that then turned into a sports publication company. (laughs) And so that was kind of a funny start, a a little shift there. And then I worked in the sports publication industry for a few years, building up freelance design work on the side. 
And then I broke out on my own in, you know, my dates are a little bit fuzzy, but it was around probably circa 2005 and started to just, I went hundred percent on my own with neural running it as a graphic design slash art direction studio, working one-on-one with clients of all types. So mom and pop shops, nonprofits, churches, um, like some bigger companies, you know, natural food companies, all different. I've like worked in all different realms of the graphic design world and always making art on the side too. So, uh, and I would do art shows and things, but come 2019, I made the pivot to go full time as an, as an artist and to stop advertising that I do graphic design or anything like that. So I kind of rebranded Neural as a multifaceted art studio. And so that kind of brings us to where we are today with it. So much to unpack right there. Um, First of all, I know what it feels like to go to a school, go to a college, and then years later, it's no longer exists. The literally the same thing happened to me. Oh my gosh. Which school were you at? So I went to a school called Institute of Design and Construction and it no longer exists. I know it's heartbreaking. (laughs) And I mean, the Art Institute, it had a bad reputation. So I'm glad I was able to get out of there with a career. (laughs) And I did have a good handful of good teachers there. There was one in particular who I'm still in correspondence with. Her name is Ellen Long and she's really person. She actually encouraged me in textile design when I was at the Art Institute. I didn't know what that was. Mm. So she was looking at my work and she would look at my sketchbooks because I'd always bring them to class. And she one day was like, oh, wow, you should you have a great like eye for composition and positive and negative space. Like you should you should go into textile design. I was like, what? So that she kind of opened up the door there for me um, to start thinking about that. That's awesome. Exploring that realm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, she was on point. I mean, she just kind of has an eye for like picking out people's talents because. Absolutely. I mean, so my question is, I'm curious. So you were doing like promoting as a designer, solving other people's problems. And you made this pivot to now I'm an artist. I'm not a designer. I'm an artist. First of all, explain the difference and two, like, why did you do that? Sure. The difference, it's a little muddy sometimes depending on the project I'm working on. But what I would say is it's, I now get hired purely for my aesthetic, um, my distinct style and the way that I work. So all of the work that I create too, I do it freehand. I never use rulers. I don't use compasses and any of my original art I do. So people know when they're hiring me, they're going to get something that may look on the outside, like it's computer generated or perfect, but in the end it actually is. And it's done by hand and it has like this human quality to it. Um, so I going back to what the difference is between the design being a graphic designer versus now being an artist who gets hired for some design type ish work. Um, I think that it doesn't always, the work I do now, though it serves a purpose, I would say it does still serve a purpose and solve problems, but there's a little more creative freedom involved. And I think that it's, it's that border of design and art where it's not 
just purely working with a client to just throw together a brochure or a magazine or put to, create a logo or something like that, where they're going to use it in all these marketing materials and that. Though sometimes I do create things with my art, like, you know, that does that. So I think it's long story short. I'm sorry. I get long winded. Sometimes I ramble, but I think the dis- difference is that I'm getting hired to, for my style and it is art. It's the foundation of it is fine art in a sense. And then it kind of gets applied in these other ways. If that makes sense. That makes tons of sense. Um, so why did you feel to do that pivot? Well, it was a few things. Initially, um, I was actually growing my design business and, and doing pretty well. I was having some of the best years I had had. And I was thinking about maybe um, starting to kind of build it out into more of a like a fluid agency where I would I was considering like just becoming the creative director and hiring or working with uh, independent designers to help execute the work. And I had joined, um, if you're familiar with him, and I think you are, because I think you met him at Creative South, Chris Doe from, he runs the Future Pro Group, and he was a speaker at Creative South too. But he, I've stumbled upon his um, his Future Pro Group where it's there, he's helping creatives uh, make a living doing what they love. And he and I were on a one-on-one call and talking about my business and what we're doing. And he was helping me think about how to scale it up in that. And somehow in the conversation, he had asked something about what am I passionate about? And I'd said, well, I want my art. I'm passionate about the art that I'm making. I want to also talk about that. And so once we started talking about the art and I started, he wanted to see some of my work. So I was showing him and he, he was like, oh, wow, you're really good. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, it, cause he meets with all kinds of people, you know? And he's like, I mean, I don't just tell everybody that, but he's like, you really have something here. You're just not marketing yourself correctly. He's like, I actually think he's like, you got to pick a path. Like you probably need to decide to do design, graphic design, or if you're going to pursue this art side. But he's like, I think you really have something there. You just got to figure out how to market yourself. And so that pushed me over the edge to, to, I'd been wanting to do art full time and just didn't think it was feasible. And I was really actually very burnt out on graphic design and, and working with clients and that. And partly because I wasn't always handling them great myself, but I was learning a lot of that kind of stuff and how to better handle business and and be more of a professional instead of just this like artist who kind of, you know, can kind of come and go and do whatever. Um, but I just was ready to at least leave that behind for a while. I don't know if I might go back to it someday, but it was just, it seemed like it was time to move forward and, and pursue this career as an artist to just change things up. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I had Chris on the podcast, actually. He's been on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Chris is a good dude. He's definitely he has an, an eye for, um, just walking you through a path and giving you listening well enough to give you the right advice. I agree. Yeah. He's I very agree. good at listening. And he's and excellent. He, he listens to hear certain things and then he gives you advice on those cues that he's listening for, which is pretty cool. Yeah. He's got that very fine tuned ear that he's over the years been working on that. He's yeah. He's, I think one of the, 
best business coaches out there personally. That's awesome. And that I don't awesome. agree with everything he says, but I think he really overall, he's very helpful, I think. And then and I, I think most that, people can benefit. I think that's the thing about him. Like agree, don't agree. You know, he's legit trying to help you. Like that, yeah, that I absolutely. think that's what separates him from a lot of people. He just wants, he really wants to help the creative industry. First, he wants to raise our help, raise our value. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, and I can respect that. Anyone wants that wants to um, raise our value and just legit try to help the creative industry, you know, and I, I know he's one of those people for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So you decided, okay, I'm going to pivot, right? Um, so how are the, some of the ways that you generate revenue with this new path that you're taking? So uh, the bigger ones are murals and public art. Uh, but also I've been getting into immersive art. So collaborating with a creative technologist, his name is Cashflow. And he and I have worked on some things. So like some digital interactive mural installations and projections. And, and he and I talk uh, frequently about how we can both just have fun with creativity and art and push the bounds with art and tech. So that, and then, uh, you know, I sell original pieces of art, drawings uh, and, and uh, paintings. And then I also sell prints. Like I always do limited edition. I, it's kind of one of my things that I like to stick with of keeping it very like um, uh, where you can't just get like, you know, you're, they're not going to be an open edition of what I'm doing. It's very limited. And very if I sell exclusive. one great, if I sell them all. Yeah. Exclusive. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Um, and then I also just like, I'll try out different products right now. I've got a couple well, I've got a puzzle that I made. I made it in, during the pandemic because um, my dad got really into puzzling, and he does. He's he's eighty five. He just turned eighty five, and he has become like this amazing puzzler. And he just like boom, he knocks these things out like crazy. So I gave him this like black and white optical illusion, like totally just crazy triangular pattern thing, and he loved it. It was like one of the hardest puzzles puzzles he's done. But anyway, so. I'm trying out different things. So puzzles and um, that's, I'm on a kick right now that I want to launch like limited edition puzzles uh, in the next few months and then doing in-person workshops uh, on creativity, just helping people to like free their creativity and just have fun, really just give them place and space to just come and enjoy and have a good time and see that, you know, it's just good for the mind and body to have fun and play with art. And then, um, well, licensing, pattern and art licensing. So I'll license my work with companies or um, for, you know, to be put on home decor items like, you know, shower curtains or have a manufacturer take a pattern and put it on phones or something like that. So those are, I think, the main ones I could think of. I just want to say uh, there's so much flooding through my mind right now because, like, <laughs> I feel like every designer at some point through their career, they want to have a style. They want to be known for a specific style. Mm -hmm. um, different people are known for a specific style. And I feel yeah. like you have a style. It's clear what your style is. Um, now when I see any kind of geometric triangling, I'm like, hmm. That reminds me of Debbie. Did she do this? 
<laughs> it's, I'm with you. I mean, I think I always thought growing up, you know, I don't know. Well, I don't know if I ever thought about specifically coming up with my own style, but it's just the way things went and I would draw obsessively. So the, I've gone in and out of different phases right now. I've been in this triangle phase for a very long time. <laughs> I'm actually getting a little bored with it. <laughs> but you see, the thing is, though, I don't think we all start out like that, though. I don't think we all start out trying to find a style. I think we all start out trying to find, just try to do it, learn, do everything. And I think after mm. a while, after you get to a certain point, you want to be, you want to have a certain style. Um, so how would you how did you develop that style like what did you do what are some things that you kind of noticed that along the way that you realized that helped you develop this style yeah it's a good question i think that you know and and this is like a good and a bad thing i think i've always been especially with art if i'm if it's if there's a style or something I'm not interested in, I don't care about learning it. I don't want to try it. I can appreciate it for what it is, but like growing up and going to, you know, even just school in, in grade school, arts, art class in grade school and in high school, the things I wasn't interested in doing, I really didn't like to do. Um, and the teachers, I think they, I know that they saw that I had some talent. I had something there that I had a number of different teachers throughout the years that were encouraging and letting me be more abstract, um, with, a not all of the projects, but with a lot of the projects. And I met that started back in, in grade school. I remember, uh, one of the teachers letting me get a little more free with what I was doing, um, where everybody else in class had to like draw the still life as it was type of a thing. So I think that just going with what I, the aesthetics that I liked as just from when I was a child and, and it evolves and, you know, from where I'm going now as an adult. Um, but like I said, I always like, I loved MC Escher when I saw MC Escher's work, that's one where I fell in love with it immediately. I remember my little brain just being blown away by it. These, this black and white art that was just drawn with 2d lines but he was creating these amazing like weird 3d optical illusion worlds and granted though he like involved some realism in within it but there was something there that it just drew me in and i loved the patterns i i remember just like and i would emulate the patterns so i would draw you know starting out that's how i practiced i would draw like mc escher patterns and try to make them my own for years um probably over a decade i was doing that from like middle school into high school and uh, I, I think from that, you know, just again, like as you're evolving as a human too, your tastes and things you're interested in kind of influence. Like I was 13 is when that's when I discovered graffiti art. And I thought, oh my gosh, here's another thing that like blew my mind with these crazy bold colors and this abstraction of letters. And so my mind, the way I guess I always thought, I've always thought about it the way I look at things when I see something that inspires me, whatever it is. Um, I always think, how can I make that my own? Like, so I take it where I know a lot of other artists and creatives are always like, oh, I see something that I, I think is cool. And I don't, I think, oh, I can make that. So I'll just make it at home instead of buying that thing. And I think that way too, a lot, but I also think, but how can I make it different so that it's still, what can I do to it where I'm, I'm getting inspired, but then I'm tweaking it and adding something to it that just comes from my mind's eye or whatever. And so 
I just, I don't know. You feel like I'm starting to ramble again, but. Nah, you're good. Is that, you tracking me? <laughs> I am tracking you. I am. I okay. am. Because I feel like, yeah. I know for me, I struggle with being locked in a style, especially a style that I don't want to be locked in. Hmm. Like, I'm not sure I want to be locked in being a calligrapher. I'm not not sure if I want to be locked in as a calligrapher, but like, I know that's one thing that I enjoy doing. People enjoy seeing it. Mm -hmm. So I do it more, but I'm not 100% sure, but I'm also not turning it off just because I'm not sure about it. But so yeah. I, I I feel like that's always when we all get to this point, like what what do we want to be known for? And if we want to kind of dabble in the artistic, because when I see your work, I'm already seeing it even futuristically, like this being mm. like neural, like that is a a a a a verb, a, you know what I mean? It, it, it's now like, you know, it's like Q-tics. like the actual name, that's the name of the company, but it's now right. associated with the product. And that's what I see that is, I see that down oh, wow. the line. So it's just like always interesting to me. Like, how did you come up with that name? Why, mm-hmm. why that name? Oh, ne- well the name, so Neural, I came up with that when I was in art school and it was initially a, a typeface that I was designing in like the type 101 class or whatever. And, I loved fonts. Like I still do. I love fonts. I love typography. Um, I would say if I was still in the graphic design, like wanting to really do things in that realm, I would go way more deeper into just like custom typography and that. But neural was a typeface that I made. And it, the whole idea of it was it had these like really sharp pointed serifs and, but like also this rounded softness to it. And the font is terrible. And I actually found it in my archives the other day. And I, I showed <laughs> Diane Gibbs. Our, I know she's a dear friend of both of us. And, um, you know, it's like terrible. Looking at it now, I'm like, this is awful. But um, the idea is just, I don't know. I took that and then I named, as I started doing just even freelance design work when I was in, in college, um, I thought, oh, that's a cool business name, you know, and it's mm-hmm. whatever, it's silent G on it and all that. Um, but the idea of it really then became merging the neural system in the human body and the neural network in the computer. So like the organic and the digital kind of coming together in this creative explosion thing. And I actually think it still carries through now, even though I'm not really doing the graphic design work because like my work, a lot of times people come up to me and they'll say, like if I have a a piece hanging up on the wall or something, they'll say, you know, oh, is that a vector? You know, do you do that in Illustrator? Is that, you know, digital art or whatever? And I always tell them, no, I drew it by hand. You can go up there and look at it. You'll see the little like wiggles in the lines and the, all the little mess ups and things that happen. But yeah, so that's where Neural came from. That's always so interesting. I could definitely see your work just like you ever seen one of those like digital loops and it's like this this art and it's like endless. Like it's moving oh, yeah. but it's all it's yes. endless. I could see like this and this endless triangle geometric pattern and it's just it keeps just flowing and but it's endless it's 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 moving along the way i do have something that you can't see it at the moment but it's it is 
there is something like that that exists. So the guy I was mentioned earlier, Cashflow, the creative technologist, our first collaboration is called, it's called Conscious Growth and it's a digital interactive mural. It's up in Snowmass, Colorado currently, but we could put it anywhere. Um, and essentially what it is, is it's, he, Cashflow is a, a creative coder and he's a genius. Like he's one of the best at what he does. He's awesome. And he, he and I sat down, I talked him through how I draw. He looked at my sketchbooks and that, and we've just, we've known each other for a really long time. We knew each other back in Colorado for like over, I think over 20 years, but, um, he created code. So it's generative, it's generative art. This is weird. It is that mix of like, it's generative art, but it's not your typical generative art. He's created this code that draws like me, that's using line fills that I hand drew and digitally like recreated them so that he could fill them in as the line fills in this generating art. And it's building out these triangular patterns, never ending, and it never repeats itself, but it does, it continues to just build them out over and over and flowing and with, we pick color palettes, we can change the color palettes, things like that. And in the background, then we also have my hand-drawn repeating patterns behind it all. So these other, these generative triangles come above and build on top of this ever-changing landscape of patterns that I've created. So in a sense, it's similar to that. It changes though. So that's the cool thing about it. I think it's not, you're not always seeing the same picture just looping and that like weird vortex, which is cool. But I like the idea that it's like kind of has that feel, but it's always different so that it's new no matter what. Yeah. I think that's even cooler. Um, and I'm tracking you. I'm into that oh, digital re- yeah. repetitive, repetitive art. Um, I'm for it. I'm for it. Yeah. I'm excited about it. I love collaborating with, with him and I think we've got some cool ideas going and we actually have been using that project, um, to like expanding from that one where we're creating one of one prints Mm. from that generative art. So he takes snapshots, uh, Cashflow takes these snapshots while the piece is just running even on his computer or whatever. And he'll take like a bunch at a time and send them to me and I'll sift through and curate and pull out ones that look good that I like how they look. And then we have been selling them as one of a kind G clay prints that we sign. They come with a certificate of, of authenticity and that's it. And then we'll never print another one of that size again. And so it's, it's kind of, a we were trying to think of a way to make art a little more accessible for people who want to collect, but don't have like all kinds of money to get a, start collecting unique art. Mm -hmm. And so these are kind of, we've priced them in a way that they're uh, reasonable for being one of a kind art pieces. And so that's been fun. We are getting ready to launch a new series of those. So that's awesome. Fun things going. That's awesome. So you said you, were you originally from Colorado? No, I'm originally from Ohio. So I grew up in the Cleveland area and then I moved to Colorado in 1998 to go to art school. And gotcha. then I stayed there. Yeah, I lived in Colorado for about 20, uh, 22 years. I moved back to Ohio right in the middle of the pandemic okay. um, to be closer to my family. And my mom was having some uh, health issues, and cancer and things. She's currently cancer-free, thank let's God. Go, but let's go. Um, yeah, but so I just thought it was one of those where I always thought I would never, ever, ever move back to Ohio because I love Colorado. And I'm like, never say never. And I just thought 
during it, I just realized like, wow, I think I'm supposed to move back there and be closer to my family. And yeah, so I did. That's that, that thing called perspective, boy. You're right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what was it like? What was Colorado like? I've only driven through. Mm-hmm. I've made very brief stops. I'm hoping to go there as a destination soon. But um, what was it like? What is what was it like living in Colorado? It's, Colorado? Uh, I mean, it's beautiful. So I lived in Denver for the first 14 years. And then the remainder years I was there, I lived in Boulder. The two are similar, but very different in some ways. What I loved about Boulder was you're right at the base of the foothills there. And you have like hiking and all kinds of like access to the mountains right there. So I would go and like go on these like long walks every single day when I would you know, living out there because it's so easy to get on a trail and the trails are beautiful. It's like everywhere you go is just beautiful. Um, Denver is, and it's easy from Denver too. I mean, it's like a 30 minute drive to get to the foothills and then you can get into the mountains and go wherever you want. Um, what I loved about Denver, especially once I moved there and got settled in was it just, there was a lot more culture going on there than where I'd grown up. And I love food and I love coffee and I love art and architecture. And it just, there was a lot going on there. And when I arrived in Denver, the first, uh, probably after about probably the first few years I was there, it really started the creative scene, like artists and designers and everything, like all the people who kind of fall into that bubble really started to blossom and grow. And so it was a really fun time to be there. This was like in 2000, like the early 2000s, into, I would say the like 2013, 2012, like that was a really great time in Colorado where all creatives were like, everybody was just excited to meet everyone and Mm. help each other out. And it was murals were starting to take off there. And that's kind of where the boom, like every wall is covered now in Denver. It's like, you can't find a wall that doesn't have a mural on it. Really? Um, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's blown up. Like the city is, there's so many people have moved there and it's gotten very expensive too, because of all this too. So it's changed. The landscape's changed completely now, really. And a lot of people I know, like I'm, I moved cash flow lived out there. He moved about the same time I did. And so it's, it's, you know, it's different now. I, I don't know what it feels a little different, even just going back, even though I've been gone, not even, not quite two years, but when I go back, it's already, it's changed a lot. Interesting. And it's just different. So I'm glad I was there the time that I was there. It was really fun. I made great friends during that time, met awesome artists, people who inspire me to this day and I think are phenomenal. So many great artists out there. I mean, everywhere. There's great artists everywhere, but it's just, um, it was really, a, it was a cool place to be, but they have good food and, and dining. And if you want to get up into those mountains, you got to get up there. That Glenwood awesome. Springs, go to Glenwood Springs. That to me Glenwood is Springs. a place that I... All right, I'm going to add it to my list. And when I'm getting ready, because hopefully we're going to be driving to San Diego. We are road trip people. So we're probably. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're probably going to drive to San Diego. So I'm hoping maybe we could stop through Colorado or something. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to send you a message to be like, send me a list of go to. Oh, I'll send you all kinds. Oh, yeah. especially food i love to eat yes I'll give you all let's the good do restaurant. let's do we are <laughs> we're food people for sure there's no good. there's no vacation or getaway without food <laughs> exactly right <laughs> all right so i'm hearing this story this wonderful story it sounds like there's nothing that debbie had to overcome <laughs> um there was no fear 
please, I, I would say like if there was, what would you say was like the biggest fear or the biggest challenge that you had to overcome? No, it's just been a fairy tale. <laughs> no, of course not. Oh my gosh, so many things. It's yeah, it's hard to this is where I'm gonna have to try it. I'm gonna brevity, Deborah. Don't get too wordy here because there's a lot I could say. But um one that's actually a really simple thing that I had that I learned I had to get over was my fear of public speaking, which like crippled me up until about a few years ago. I mean, I would panic and cry and freak out knowing if I had to even just give an introduction to somebody else. <laughs> like it was, I wanted to die. It was literally like, I would please, I can go now. I'm good. Like take me home. Jesus. You, you, you just want to like wilt into the ground and disappear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what did you do to overcome this? I, I will say, I really thought it was something I was never going to overcome. Mm. And so I'm, I'm not trying to be like, I'm 42 and blah, 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 but I'm 42. And so it was about 2019 is when this started to change because I was in Chris Doe's future pro group. And in that group, like you can, when you're in the private group, you can engage with Chris in these one-on-one call or in these group calls and that, but you have to be willing to be brave to like raise your hand on the zoom call and then talk in front of like 300 people that you don't know that you're worried about. What are they all thinking of me? You know? And I'd gotten to the point though, where I was like, why do I care so much? You know, like, I'm so worried about what everybody thinks. This is probably, this is actually the fear that more than this public speaking, here's what it is. This is the core fear of where the public speaking came, like that fear came from is being so worried about what people think of me and not wanting to look stupid or not wanting to sound like a, you know, I don't know what I'm doing or something. And I think that's that's always been a fear for me in the, in my mind, or you know, one of those things that comes at me a lot. But um, in that group, I just decided, like, okay, this is an easy for me. It seemed easier to try it out um, in this group where I didn't know all these people, and that it was on for some reason for being on Zoom. It felt a little less like I was like, okay, I can only see a handful of them. They're thumbnails anyway, and they're so small. Like, I don't even have to think about, like, I don't have to even see really the faces of these people while I'm trying to ask this question to, you know, Christo. (laughs) And so I started doing that. And then in that group, you know, he would, he and other, his other colleagues in that and other people in the group too would just encourage all of us to like put yourselves out there, you know, make videos, do all this, you know, you got to, Get, you got to let people know who you are if you want to make a living as a creative, regardless of what you're doing. That's so true. I started kind of dipping my toe in that and fought it a lot, but pushed through. And I mean, I don't, it doesn't scare me anymore. I kind of enjoy it. I think because I had a mind shift too of, it's an opportunity to actually get to know people. It's not, I think when I realized it actually isn't about me, because that's the whole worry, right? That's that fear. It's like me, me, me. I'm so worried about what people are going to think of me. But when I start to think, well, I'm going to have a conversation with someone or I'm going to lead this AIGA event and facilitate this thing that people have come to learn. Like we're here to learn and grow. And that's why I'm doing this. I'm not doing it because I want to hear myself talk. Like, no, thank you. But (laughs) uh, when you know that it can benefit somebody else or I don't know. You can learn from it too. I'm like, okay, I can learn from all of this too. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be able to engage with people better and be more helpful. 
I love that. So you basically saw it as an opportunity to serve versus what you were seeing it as before. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And but and I hadn't seen it that way until I started to push myself past this being so scared mm. of doing it. I love that. I like that. I like I like hearing these because for creatives, like I think almost all of us, for the most part, has some kind of fear with what people think. It may not always translate in public speaking or whatever, but we all have this this thought of what people think. And it comes from our work. Most of our work is putting it out there for people to see. And I think Mm -hmm. for some some reason, we now take that on as a personality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when you think of it, even in, you know, the realm of design, whatever, it doesn't matter, whatever it is, you know, you're always like, it's like, is the client going to be happy with this? You know, so there it's always those. Yeah. And then we take it personally, too. But I think learning to not take it personal is huge, which has also been a struggle. But I've been working on that for a few years. And all right. So what is who are some of the people that, you know, Debbie kind of appreciates those people that rally around you, those people that build you up, those people that just make you come alive inside? Yeah. um, Well, my parents, for sure, they actually have always been super supportive. And I will say that my sister, too, and her husband. But, um, you know, like Diane Gibbs, meeting Diane. And I'll, I'll actually say that was the best thing that happened to me being in Christo's future pro group is that I got to meet Diane Gibbs. That's how I met her. And she and I have become very good friends and she's such a supportive encourager and just helpful friend who will give it to you straight. And I have a lot, a number of my really close friends who aren't in the art design realm are really so helpful. They, um, yeah, a good friend of mine named Taryn and Kristen and my friend Julie. So they all, um, they're all really just excellent, just helpers. And I love it because they were so close that they'll, they know they can tell me like, yeah, when you did that, I don't know, you know, or I'll get good feedback from them. I love that. Um, I'm going to tell a cool, quick story about Diane. This is years ago, a while ago. I don't remember how yep. when it was, but <laughs> I was working on a product launch and um, I was like, Diane, um, look through the site. Let me know if anything is off or whatever the case may be. Um, check out the shopping cart, you know, the whole nine. And she was there. Yeah, sure. And she's like, we're on the phone and she's like looking <laughs> through it. And she's like commenting on what she, what, what she thinks and giving me feedback. And out of nowhere, like in my account, something gets bought. Oh, she buys. I think it was a shirt uh, or something at the time and she bought it. And and that was just so cool. I was thrown off like I didn't ask you to do that. But that's Diane. Mm -hmm. I feel like she has the ability to give you advice, um, give you feedback but very few people are also willing to say, okay, I'm going to give you the advice. I'm going to give you the feedback, but listen, hold up. There's more. I'm going to come along with you along the way. Yeah. Very few people are able to do that. And I feel like that's that one thing that, um, she has like that. That's, that's that separation is like, okay, I'm giving you feedback. I'm giving you advice, but, I'm also going to be here with you 
to go yeah. along the way. It's she's so personable and I agree with you hundred percent on that. It's one I, I will agree with you also. It's gonna be like a dying Gibbs love fest. But um <laughs> she is one of the I would say in my creative career, probably top two or top three people that I've met and had a friendship with. Like she has been so instrumental. And the thing is, like we only know about these things because people like me and you have met, right? Like she's right. not one of those people that's broadcasting like the amount of people that she sows into or just like a friend to talk to on the phone or whatever. Like she's just mm-hmm. pouring into people in so many different ways behind the scenes. And she's good yes. with that. She's excellent with it. And I, <laughs> I, I'm with you and I love that about her too. I just think it's amazing. It's, I love, uh, even that is like inspiring, right? Just mm-hmm. seeing her, uh, the integrity that she has, her character, like she is who she is. She's not trying to be something else and she's genuine and she's truly trying to help people in their creative careers, wherever they're at. hundred percent. And she wants to be your friend, which is so <laughs> nice. There's usually like, there is usually that wall, right? Like, unless you become a certain someone or something, which is fine. That's okay yeah, too. Yeah, it's but, okay too. You know, I'm like. I, I love meeting people at Creative South, but, you know, there's some certain ones that I'm like, okay, well, I know we're not going to be friends, but that was great <laughs> to get to spend time with that person. But but then there's you and me, like, we didn't, we were packing bags together, yeah. and then I didn't really get to see you after that, but I'm glad we connected now, because I'm just like, I knew I liked you when I met you, too. I was like, I like that guy. I kept calling you the wrong name. But <laughs> it's fine, though. It's fine. <laughs> then it's I realized, my life. Oh, Listen, let me tell you something. That's, that's <laughs> for me. Why? Because... I've had a list of people that I've called them the wrong name. So it's just coming back full circle. It's just come back full circle. All right? Oh, man. I, trust me. I've had some really bad ones. Like, I'm supposed to know this person's name. There's no way I'm supposed to mess this name up. And then the personality of the person, that's the worst person to not remember their name because they're going to take it way it too serious. fails. Yeah. <laughs> we've all been there i mean i feel you i've done it too (laughs) oh gosh this is this is awesome this is awesome so let's 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 keep it going um so what is that thing let's get some fun questions what's that thing that you can't live without that's not your phone micron pens Mm. Mm. love them you know they have the 10 and 12 point now really on those oh yeah Listen, I was in an artistic phase and like between you and my oldest daughter, um, I'm like, I probably need to start drawing again. Hey, you should. Uh, uh, like just not minutes. just not just cal- calligraphy, but like just creating for art's sake. Um, my current pens. I like that. I like that. I like mm-hmm. when it's not anything electronic. That's kind of why I, I throw in the, um, mm. the no phones. But trust me, mm-hmm. I've heard some very... Um, some very interesting things I've heard. Oh, I'm sure. Like <laughs> what? What's, you so, got to say that. <laughs> I've heard like a blankie, like a warming oh, blankie or something it. of that sort. I've heard. What else? There, record player. That was cool. I think. Oh, that's a good one. I think that was. Um, I think that was Hawk Rattle. Andrew. I thought. I think that's what he said. His thing. To, that's hey, a good one. Is, is a, um, like an old school record player. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. Book recommendations. 
Ooh. Um, on the like business productivity side of things, I'm, I, love- I really leave it up to you. I, I'm always down for a good like novel if that's your thing, but it's their call. Okay. I have, I have like, there's like three books that stand out to me that I love. None of them are novels or <laughs> fiction. They're all like business type books. But Let's the go. first one is the 12 week year. Mm. It's a, have you read that or heard I've of it? I've heard of it. Okay. I've read all kinds of different productivity books over the years. And that is the one that for me, it has stuck and it's helped me tremendously. And I just, it's, I love it. So that book, love that. I also really love a book and my friend wrote this, but it's a great book. It's called Unflubify Your Writing. And my friend Sarah Rosinski wrote this book. She's a um, copywriter who's currently located in Denver, like Denver metro area in Colorado. She's written these like bite-sized grammar lessons for all the weird stuff in the English language that everybody forgets or mixes up. And it's just like the best little book. And I reference it all the time. Like one of the ones that I reference in it all the time is trying to figure out how to spell palette for like paint <laughs> so that I'm not spelling it like a palette at the Home Depot that's got a bunch of stuff loaded on top of it. And all, I'm like, there it is, you know. But now I think I actually remember because in the book she has fun little illustrations mm. that she had. A, anyway, that that's book cool. is awesome. That's yeah. cool. So now that you're full time, you're not a um, graphic designer still can do it, but that's not your focus. Like what yes. is the first hour of an, an artist? What's the first hour of an artist oh. day like? Or the first, first two? hour of my day? Well, the first hour I get up, I make my coffee, and then I actually go and read. I read my Bible. I read my Bible and I pray. Um, and do I do it like 100% every single time? No, but it really, I'm in that. Like that is what I try to do every single morning. And um, so I do that. And then... I, then I try to work out. That's the one that's really tough for me. <laughs> I go in and out of that phase, but right now I'm on the workout phase. So Let's do my workout. Go. Yeah. And then I'll eat a little breakfast. If we have time, I'll walk the dog in the morning or if not, then I walk him later on. But, and then I start the work day. I try to start it like at nine, like regular night. I keep regular nine to five hours. So what is your first work day to do? Is it usually something different or is it usually pretty consistent? The first thing work day wise for an artist. It's well, always to ch- I check emails. Then I'm not, I'm someone who doesn't, I don't like to check it all the time. I don't have notifications on, on my phone and things like that. I, ch- I've turned all that stuff off years ago. Um, so I'll check email and make sure there isn't something I like have to do right away, but just kind of sift through it. And then each day it's different, but see, I learned that from this 12 week book or 12 year, 12 week year book mm-hmm. that I love where I've kind of taken their formula and then I've tweaked it to make it a way that it works for me. So, um, like today, the first thing I worked on was I'm, I, well, actually, currently right now, because its focus is uh, working on this revamping my workshop, creative workshop. So the first hour of the workday I spend on that workshop. That's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's been, um, it's been good. It's been, it's helping me to stay on track and to not like move around too much because I have the tendency to go from, oh, I want to work on this pattern right now or something. And then I'm not, I, I have priority issues. So this helps me to keep with what I need to be focused on each day. Is it, do you feel like at times it feels like the priority issues stronger 
because you don't necessarily have clients to line you up. It's more pers- more stuff personally that you're trying to accomplish. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yes. And I, yeah, I was thinking that the other day, actually, because every now and then, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe I should just go get a job somewhere or something. I mean, I have those thoughts and I'm like, uh, no, but I got to keep going. But oh my gosh, because it's like, well, when I was working, you know, even when I was in house at places, it's like, okay, at least knew what I had to do, even though that always got interrupted too. But you at least had more of a checklist of things you had to get done during the day. But yeah, some days I don't have like a whole lot, but right now I've booked it up to where even if I don't have client work in that, I'm putting in things in there that need to be worked on on a regular basis that I used to never do like business development, stuff like that and outreach. Mm, Okay. That's cool. That's cool. All right. So what is next? I know you talked about the the project that you're collaborating with um on with ca- mm-hmm. cash flow yes cash, cash flow. flow um i'm this guessing it's hard to spell too <laughs> is it like not spelled how it's out it's not it's it's the it's c a c h e f l o w e yeah sure no but problem but you got to check out his work you're going to love it he does some he does cool stuff so i'll i'll send yeah, the send, to you. send me the info yeah. for sure he's All awesome right. so I would say, what is next is, is I guess we could talk about the workshop. Like what is next for Debbie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really want to uh, launch this workshop out here because I keep coming across people who are, they don't want to call themselves artists, but they're very creative. I think they are artists. Um, and they just want to, they don't have, they don't feel like they have time in that for creativity. So the point of this, and it's in person specifically, I, I didn't, people kept pushing me to like do it online, but I actually thought, no, I really think it's important to kind of bring back the in-person things now that we can do that again, at least for now (laughs) and keep it intimate. And so I'm hoping to launch that, um, in the next like two months locally. So I'll just, it's going to be small, like only 12 people per class. And I'm not quite sure how many yet I'll be running, but put it out there and see, I really am just interested to see what people make and do in it. Uh, let me take something out. First of all, I love that you're doing this. Like what oh, you do is great. I could, for a workshop, I feel like that's a good, the style, everything is great for a workshop. And two, I love that you're bringing back in-person workshops. There's just something special about it. I've done like calligraphy workshops where it's on a Zoom call and I try to make the experience as great as possible. There's a camera on me and a camera on my hands and the whole nine. Yeah. But there's nothing like being in a room with people and having you'll be able to have a conversation. You'll be able to go in more in depth. You'll actually be able to see what the other people are doing because that's what you lose yeah. the most. You can't see what anyone is doing unless you ask them to show, put it on the screen or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's great that we were able to do that, especially in the, during that during the pandemic, you know, when we couldn't get in person. So, that, you know, the online workshops really changed, too. But That's true. yeah, I know I miss the in-person. And somebody was just talking about how they a friend, of, a colleague of mine was saying how they had taken an Aaron Draklin um, workshop. And it was amazing. Like he. It was 15 people. It was, and he did it on purpose. He didn't want a big thing. He wanted this intimate setting and that, and it just made such a powerful impact on the attendees. Like they already loved him, but it's like, then they loved him even more just because of the 
that experience with him and where he really helped them and they got to come out with a logo at the end, you know, whatever. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So you've shared a lot and I appreciate you for that, but I'm going to ask you like, what advice would you give creatives on either overcoming fear or, you know, what advice would you give creatives? If there's something burning, is there like a go-to thing that kind of changed your trajectory in your career that you would like to share with creatives? Sure. I think, um, well, first of all, just to to remember, regardless of where you're at in your career, whether you're new at it or a veteran in design, but like, I think we always, fear is always going to come up. We're humans. Like it's in our nature to get scared and be afraid of things. <laughs> um but I think that the more you understand who you are and what you like, where you put a stake in the ground, like it's going to matter on like how you think and operate and what you believe. Like, what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about other people? And when you can kind of have empathy and grace on both sides, I think that can help even when you're in a situation that's hard or fearful or whatever, whether it's professionally or in your life, wherever. I think when you can step outside of it and kind of look at it through that lens of, I don't know, grace on yourself, grace on whoever's across from you and that empathy too, maybe that can help it, depending on the situation. That's probably more, maybe not all situations feel like that when there's fear involved, but that's what comes to mind for me. No, I love it. And I love the fact that you talked about grace. Cause I feel like it's just so lacking. Yeah, I do too. Like, you know, like we all kind of struggle. Like we should just walk through the day like hoping to give, like see it as an opportunity. I see Debbie, like let me give her grace. See it as an opportunity to give someone else grace. Like, because we all struggling with something or we're all gonna screw up or we're all gonna fall short. I feel like, you know, just... We just don't give much grace. We we put such high expectations on each other that when it's you're not your game is not right, your game is not all up to par, or you're struggling, you know, it's just not that built-in grace that we have for each other. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. All right. So, where can people go to learn more about you to find you? Well, they can go to neural.com, which is spelled G-N-E-U-R-A-L.com. It looks like G-neural, if that helps. And then Instagram, so all the social, you can find me. That's my handle, at neural. And then I also do, do like, I have my, I try to differentiate even my fine art from the public art murals and that. So you can, if you look up Debbie Clapper, you can find me, debbieclapper.com and on Instagram too. I also have a Debbie Clapper art Instagram. And so those are the main things. And if you sign up for my newsletters, then you'll, you'll be in the know of what's going on. I like that. I love it. I love it, Debbie. I mean, I'm just glad to have you on this show. I'm glad you oh. get to kind of bless my show. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I just, it's been so nice chatting with you and I can't wait till we get to talk again and see each other at Creative South, hopefully again. Yes. Um, Creative South is like, it's very rare that I'm going to miss that place. It's very rare. Like if I miss a Creative (laughs) South, like, I don't know. I'm hoping that there's nothing causing me to miss Creative South because it would have to be something 
it's it's so much a staple in my life that if I'm missing creative self, that means I'm either doing an, a, a, a more amazing project than going to creative self or there's some, something bad happened. Mm. That's how mm-hmm. important creative self is. <laughs> well, I've just, this was my first year. And so now I'm hooked. I'm like, I'm going, I don't want to miss this thing either. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts because it really helps out the podcast. Remember to check out my latest project, flyteddy.com. Until next time, be blessed.